0: We help companies improve sales performance, executing the growth strategy at the point of sale. Find us at forcemanagement.com. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Welcome to the Revenue Builders Podcast. I'm Johnny Mack, and I'm here with my friend and colleague, John Kaplan. Cap, how are you this morning?
0: I'm doing great, buddy. How are you?
1: I'm excited for our next guest. Me too. Me too. So Cap, I met our first guest when I was running sales at BMC, and in my first few encounters with him, I could sense our guest's sheer determination and intense desire to be successful and rapidly grow through the ranks of sales leadership. Dolly started as a first-line manager, and he was quickly promoted to second-line management. After leaving BMC, Dolly joined AppDynamics as the VP of US West. And shortly after that, he was promoted to VP of North America and ultimately to the chief revenue officer role. A few years later, AppDynamics was acquired by Cisco for $3.7 billion. Dolly departed shortly after that to become the CRO at Zscaler, where he's been the catalyst behind Zscaler's rapid growth over the last three and a half years. And earlier this year, Dolly was promoted to the chief operating officer role at Zscaler. Dolly got his BS from Cal Poly and his MBA from the Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern. Hey Cap, I want you to welcome my friend, an avid hockey fan. I hope he's still an avid hockey fan and a very special sales leader, Dolly Raja.
0: Dolly guten tag gates
2: guten tag Captain. mir geht sehr gut lin
0: auch gut auch gut hey uh, i'm sorry i don't know uh croatian but uh when we have you on again i'll try to uh i'll try to learn uh a few sentences of that dali great to see you um such a great reputation um uh out in the marketplace uh i know several people that work in your uh, work, have work for you and still work for you uh, today. So we're really, really thankful to have you. Thanks for carving out some
2: time for us. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me. Appreciate it.
1: So, Dolly, let's jump in a little bit. Let's think back on your stellar career and you have and have you share some lessons with our audience as, you know, you stepped up the different lines in, in leadership roles. So if if we could start like with going from sales rep to first line manager, and you could pick one thing that you had to learn when you got into that first line management role, what comes to mind for you?
2: Um, I, th- I think if there's one thing, there are many, but <laughs> there's one it's style flex, and that's the biggest one because learning how to work through others without you know being just demanding of things to get done, but actually accomplishing goals, objectives through others, uh, it it takes a little bit to do that. Uh, Because you have that tendency, especially as a rep, to always think, I know the best path, but it's the best path for you. So, So the difference on how people execute, how they consume messaging, how they consume planning, and understanding those nuances becomes critical so that so that you can really start building a team. And I mean, not just by you know mission and purpose, but also kind of kind of more of a personal connection. You have to understand how to work through others via StyleFlex. Um, and that that is, I think, uh the hardest thing for most people to do because you're so impatient. When you get that first job, you want to prove that you know how to do it, you'll do well, and you sometimes end up just wanting to build mini-clones, and that never works out well.
1: No, that's so true. I'm glad you said that, mini-clones, because a lot of people I've seen get promoted to first-line manager, and they think everybody else is just like them. And so they ignore the different skills and knowledge from the other reps, and even some of the strengths and weaknesses, and and they pound on people that don't have maybe the same strengths that they had. But to your point, you have to learn how to, as you called it, style of flex to these different people, understand their strengths and weaknesses, and where you can add value to them. Right?
2: And it's to that point. I think you touch on. You know, if there was a one B, it'd be actually it's okay to be vulnerable because you think you got promoted, and you got to know everything except for you don't know everything. (laughs) Right? All this talent on your team. And if you create a culture of mutual learning from one another, then it becomes really uh, an approach of exchanging ideas, weighing them, uh, trying to figure out what, what the best one is forward. You become a sounding board. You learn, evolve your thinking. Now you can add more value. But but again, that vulnerability piece where, where you're okay admitting that you don't have all the answers That's a hard one for some people to swallow because they're sitting there going, I just got the job because I'm good. But again, doesn't mean you know everything. It just means you're good at certain things and have potential, but you've got to harness that potential.
1: Right. And to your point of that you're good at certain things, the other thing you find out is there's other people on your team that are better at certain things than you are. And having the ability to appreciate what they're better at and trying to actually learn from them also is a big step you know, when you look in the mirror, like I don't know everything and I need to learn from my team also.
2: It it is. And if you want to take it to another level, I've been a fan of this is um, all these ideas sit in pockets. You know, how do you create a playbook? Does somebody with tremendous wisdom go in a dark room and, you know, doctor it up? Or do you collect all the different experiences from these different individuals? But then you go outside of that and go to other teams, And you create really a community, a culture of best practices, you know, exchanges of tips and tricks learned. And and that's what builds the first playbook. And that's what becomes a continuous evolution of playbooks. Um, So, yeah, I've been a big fan of that.
1: Yeah. Now, when you went from first line manager and then you go to second line manager, can you think back what comes to mind there is a big learning experience?
2: Yeah, when, when you step into kind of the second-line role, it, it gets gets a little harder because it's not just individuals that you have to understand, but you got to now start being very programmatic about everything you do because you can't scale yourself into being everywhere where you're needed at all times, but rather the focus on building not just individual contributor skill sets, but building leadership skill sets building a programmatic approach that allows you to really track progress, track efficiency, that allows you to get insights into is somebody doing well versus just working hard. Because everybody wants maximum yield for their efforts, and you're responsible for that. That comes with process, that comes with program, and that comes with starting to really build that first set of GM skills where where you integrate into the broader org and are not just in your sales and technical resource kind of arena.
1: I've also seen a lot of people that get to second line manager, and then they don't actually know what to do, as you precisely outlined. So what they're doing is essentially they're doing what the first line manager does. So they're asking the same questions of the poor reps that the first line manager's already asked. And they're they're just asking the second line the same questions. And all the reps are wondering, well, what does this second line manager really do? What value do they really bring to the team?
2: Yeah, that's kind of to the, to expand on what I meant by when I said you have to start developing your first GM skill set uh, capabilities. Uh, if, if you're working on developing your frontline managers to you know, expand their skills, fine tune their skills, then what's your incremental value to the team at some point, right? Because let's say you got three of them and they're pretty good and you've shared your wisdoms and you've gotten them better. What is your incremental value to the team? That's the question people don't ask. And this is where if you start saying, I got to figure out how to connect into the ecosystem, how is that going to look? That's my contribution. I got to identify gaps or leaks of efficiency. How do I do that without you know uh, tripling down on rep inspection, which you know, never leads to good outcomes, just waste of time? So what is the incremental way you're going to add value via process, via ecosystem, via contributions that are additive to what the core emotions were that you were as an RSN? Now, the problem here, again, is they don't know. Back to the vulnerability piece. Yes. I'm pretty certain there's two or three leaders out there that are doing really well and getting on the phone and saying, what are you doing? Break it down to me. By right. being naturally curious and learning has always been a big, big aspect of my beliefs and my philosophies. Uh, somebody's always done it or is doing it. Um, why not figure out how you can incorporate that and right. why not ask for help? Uh, there's nothing wrong with that.
1: Yeah. I always think that second line manager can also, if you look at the first line manager, they basically have 62 days to turn a bigger number there's pressure on them to recruit. There's pressure on them to help onboard those new reps. And the second line manager really can help that first line manager who, to your point earlier, thinks that all the people are a clone of themselves, help them understand the differentiation between these different reps and the strengths and weaknesses and help accelerate that learning curve of, of what it takes first line managers a long time to figure out.
2: It's 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 that. And I also think it's stepping back and asking the uncomfortable hard questions. If you think about a rep, the motivation is I want to retire my number, right? And I want to overachieve on my number. So you're chasing that deal. And sometimes you get so locked into where you think you are in that process. There's no bigger disappointment than putting in months of work, being locked in, missing one or two little details, and then saying, maybe this place is not for me. I I didn't convert. So if you're in that second line role, you you really start managing to risk. What is the risk in the deal? What is the risk with the team? What is the risk with the ecosystem? So what are the things that are not happening? And then again, how do I help bridge that? How do I secure the deal? How do I get access to somebody we don't have access to? How do I make sure that I take it upon myself to meet with partners that I know have relationships in certain arenas? How do I make sure that, again, I add that incremental value via a couple of different avenues and paths? You got to spell that out, right? So it can't just be daily you asking yourself. You got to figure out what are those elements based on the composition of your team? How new? How senior? What are the accounts? All of those things have an influence into how you structure this.
1: Okay, now let's go second line to third line. Now it's becoming a little more complex. What, can, what comes to mind when you think about when you moved from second line to third line?
2: Yeah, when when you're in a third line position, at this point, you got to be thinking three, four quarters ahead and working backwards on where you want to land. You're no that. longer chasing the number for the quarter or that quarter plus one. You're building out not just this fiscal year, but you're planning for next year. You're having a very different operational cadence around How do I construct a territory that can be split? How do I talk to my peers around me so we can figure out how to maximize not just our businesses, but maybe create another business that doesn't exist today for five quarters out so we can continue fueling the growth of the company? How do I connect in with the product teams to understand where can they contribute? What is it that's outstanding? Maybe some ERs. Is Is there an impact to actual revenue? Uh, contribution with certain capability that nobody understands the relevance of because nobody's aggregated it and brought it back to the product teams. You start looking at investments. How do you redistribute? You know, everybody has ratios of SEs to reps to architects. But again, depending on your business, are those the right ratios? Do you need to make some investment somewhere for two, three, four quarters in advance Where are you going to get those from? Because there's no free money floating around. So your decision process is multiple, multiple quarters out, and you're building a business backwards, and you're starting to grow the next phase in parallel while executing on the current phase. And again, the development of your leaders to make sure that they understand how to execute with excellence, how to coach, how to develop, how to retain people... um, doing that still diligently while keeping a pulse as to what's going on in the org, there's a tendency when you get to third line to just live in your dashboards. If you disconnect from the actualities, the little nuances, the emotions on the ground and what's causing them, um, you kind of lose touch with the pulse of the business. I've always been a big fan of You know, doing some sort of advisory groups um, across segment, whether it's reps, customer success, services, um, SEs, architects, and coming back to you with, you know, feedback from the ground, feedback on obstacles, hurdles, uh, potential areas to accelerate. And they do it outside of their team bubble, which means they go out and ask other people across other teams, what they're seeing. Then you combine the metrics with the actual insights you get on what is going on on the ground. What is the pulse and why? Most importantly, why? And then you get some really good feedback from those individuals. And how would you solve this? Lots of brilliant minds on the teams, right? Um, that to me are, you know, elements that you got to consider versus just, again, chasing deals, living in the quarter. Because if you're not building four quarters out, that number always keeps going up. What have you put in place and how have you done it in a cost-efficient way so that you're ready for this next stage of growth? You're ready for this next evolution of maybe a revised go-to-market model. Um, the other thing in third line that you also should be looking at is you know, the overall business. You should be looking at what is our strategy? What is our model? How can we enhance it? How can we refine it? Um, What partners are starting to surge or rise that we maybe want to make some investments in? So you're you're really truly at that point acting more like an executive than a sales leader.
1: I'm so glad you said that I wrote down what you were saying. I was going to summarize it. It's the first time that you're actually thinking like an executive. It's exactly how I would summarize everything that you said there. Okay, so now we're going from there. It's going to get more complex, Dolly. We're stepping up. We're going to go lead North America now. Now we have, I don't know, a couple hundred sales reps, many, many regions, first line, second line, third line managers, maybe somebody running the east of central and the west. Um, It's getting more complex. Now you're really thinking like an executive, but what else would you add to that?
2: I think the moment you get into a geo leader role, you you have to already start thinking like a CRO. What does that mean? You gotta understand what your lead to cash journey is. You gotta you gotta tightly, tightly integrate with the marketing teams and with the finance teams. These are not you know different functional pillars. These are these are you know one unit with the go-to-market org. Because you, you do want that balance of, are these the right investments? <clears throat> and are these the right areas? Am I getting maximum yield out of, you know, Texas versus LA versus Las Vegas versus Chicago? You got to yes. start running an analysis of where are you getting most yield for the investments made? <clears throat> you got to be tight with marketing so that all campaigns that are being run are very intentional, purposeful. Whether you're deploying different tactics by different region, they all have different investment profiles, different yield expectations. What is an investment region versus a high yielding region? So you got to model these things out and these models evolve. So having that really tight alignment allows you to build a real business plan that is account focused, segmentation focused, If you have a lead to cash map, you know what your key segments are. You know what your key customer cohorts are by size, what the sequence is you want to go, why, how much money do you have, especially in these days. I think the last two years, everybody had money for everything at all times. Those days are over. Those days are over, right? And you're going to have to be really thorough. And it has to be an integrated analysis because finance is also building an AOP with you hopefully shouldn't be on their own Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, some difficult decisions need to be made and some plans that are multiple years in advance need to be made. Now you're working back from two, three year plans versus four to six quarters. So how is your commitment to the plan going to manifest itself in the results and the investments that you're going to ask for? And having a clear map of that is, is critical. Where where are you going to spend your resources? Because none of it is going to be free anymore. If if you look at the last couple of years, everything you know, flush with cash, uh, growth was was getting secured at any cost. Now it's going to be about measured, high yielding, and high efficiency growth. So how how is that possible if you're just operating in the in the sales sphere?
1: Right, right. No, I've always thought of it almost exactly like you said. Like you have an investment portfolio, many different areas that you can spend a dollar or put a person. And where am I going to put this person or this investment that's going to maximize my yield and maximize my sales productivity? And you have to be very smart about that. And it's to, to your point. It's not something that you're going to do now that's just going to lead to, you know, a better quarter next quarter. It's got to be you know, far reaching into the into the future. It's, How about now? You Now you're stepping up to the CRO. You got North America. You got Europe. You got Asia. You're traveling a lot more. You can't now. You certainly can't be everywhere. You can't be everything to all people. Talk a little bit
2: about that. You got you got to build um, a strong team of lieutenants that can represent, have autonomy um, that absolutely are uh, entrepreneurial, mind and spirit. Uh, the RevOps function has always been one of the most critical functions that I've I've always believed in. And uh, it's not sales ops, it's RevOps, because again, it's integrated into marketing, integrated with finance, and really gives you broad insight. Because it's really alluring to go into all these countries across the globe. Uh, one partner says, I'm making an investment. Let's go. I got 20 customers. Ooh, let's go do it. So you got to build a plan, a financial model for what qualifies as an investment, different stages. You got to build a plan that says, if I don't hit these, how am I going to pull back? What does it mean? So the reverend function becomes almost like your, your eye in the sky, uh, that gives you all these insights. It's, it's not just <clears throat> collect, collecting data. It's interpreting and bringing insights back. So they got to be highly qualified individuals. Um, your leaders that represent the pre-sales functions, the customer success functions, the architect, they, they have to be senior capable leaders driven by entrepreneurial spirit to build, to create, but to do it in a very methodical way because you have no more time to inspect everything. you got to lay out a plan, a charter, that's a three-year plan. you got to work backwards from that three-year plan in segments and what that looks like. You sit down, you map out charter, you map out key metrics, criteria of success that you need to hit on a quarterly basis, but integrate it into an annual plan guiding towards the next two years on top of that plan. So without key leaders... Uh, and depending on size of organization you're running as CRO, the one thing that I've learned over time is uh, I've always been a big fan of making bets on people, making bets on their talent and stretching them. But um, but I got a funny story for you if you want to hear it in a second. I'd love to yeah. um, But it. Uh, but overstretching people in jobs that are too big potentially sets them up for failure. So you've got to have some experience on that team that has seen and done certain things before, because at any point throughout the fiscal year, they're going to be certain areas that need more of your time and attention. You can't pivot if you don't have those leaders in place.
1: Um, Yeah, I think it's it's really, you know, at that point when I was CRO also, where I really learned that if I have a consistent problem in a certain area, it's my leader. I got to look at my leader first and um and decide whether or not they're fit for the role can i get them fit for the role or do i need to put them in a different different position it's you really Correct. figure it out and you have to figure it out to your point because you don't have enough time to go deep and inspect everything
2: so yeah, yeah agree 100 percent.
1: you got a good story
2: for me i do i do i don't know if you remember this but uh you totally turned me down for a promotion back during the bmc days yes and i remember being so uh, unhappy with you um and Sorry. uh
0: Sorry. Sorry. I, I
2: listen i was pissed um Good. and i, I did not under- i did not understand how you did not understand that i was ready for it but um the fact of the matter was uh i was wrong and you were actually right and I remember what you said back then, it's uh, you have a lot of talent and you have a lot of capability, but that stretch is too risky for you. And if you take that now, I could derail your career and I don't want to do that. And I thought it was a good excuse. Many years later, um, I understood what you were saying and it was it was 100% the right call. And It's the hardest one to make because everybody has ambition. Everybody thinks they're more ready than what they usually are. And as a CRO, you don't you don't get to make a mistake, and if you make it, uh, you gotta acknowledge it to your point, and then you gotta you gotta course correct it, and you don't have multiple quarters, especially in a high growth company, you you have one maybe two, and that's it, um, and then re, repurposing that individual into a role where they can be successful. That's a really challenging conversation. this is why that trust that relationship that community i was talking about earlier if you're building it as you're rising up the ranks um then people will know that you have their best intentions in mind and um getting to that point it just uh, the bigger the org is getting it gets harder because you don't have as many touch points into the org as you'd like to have
1: yeah getting people to understand that you have their best interests in mind is really big dolly i think that's when you're you can push back on people like maybe I did push back on you. But you can also have very honest conversations with people if they believe that you have their best interests in mind. And then if you tell them, look, I'm going to help you get there and here's what we're going to work on together. And then eventually they get there. I find that they'll ne- they never want to leave you.
2: you know? uh, I, I agree. Uh, teaching to be patiently impatient is uh, is an art these days.
1: Patiently impatient. I like that, Rob. I like that. I'm gonna steal that one. Go for it. Okay. All right, buddy. Now you stepped up into even bigger role. COO.
2: All right. Yeah. Talk to, talk to. Uh, at this point, um y- y- the entire company has to be integrated under an umbrella of uh coordinated and synchronized targets. Um, key metrics, key ambitions, key goals, key work streams. And what you find in most companies is the intention is always there and the collaboration is there, but the detailed understanding of, so how do you connect all these elements so that you truly understand a three-year revenue projection based on what your product roadmap is, not just because we're excited about the products, but because we have a clear understanding of how to monetize them and which geos, and by when, and what the investments are. Uh, having a clear understanding of other parts of the org that have potentially a downstream impact into, into the entire company. Like what, for example? You look at people and culture, right? And you look at the programs required there. You know, a lot of companies, you look at it, you go, oh, it's HR uh it's not it's people and culture the development programs the career progressions the consistent performance management the other self realization avenues that in a sales org you're never going to build that because you're so focused on go to market actions and you have calories limited calories to expand so how do you look at some of these other orgs you say hey my engineering org just grew to 1500 people across three continents what's the leadership enablement that they have in place Right. And how do you have consistent leadership enablement so that it represents, you know, the culture of the entire company, especially in a in a new world where, you know, work from anywhere is is a fact that, you know, is going to stay. So how do you build an integrated framework with metrics and AOP that reflects investments, dependencies that reflect, you know, trade offs? And that reflects really close ties where everybody feels like, you know, you are part of one unit versus I have my functional group, you have yours and, you know, whatever I want comes at the cost of you or vice versa, right? So building the metrics element, the cultural elements, um, the collaborative kind of tissue so that you can have difficult conversations and identifying where we have gaps that are maybe required for the entire organization 12, 18 months from now. Because again, depending on size of work, it takes time to build some of these things out.
1: Yeah, you're right. Because a lot of times you see people working in silos. They think it's a zero-sum game. There's almost so, There's so much budget for the next year. Everybody's fighting for budget. And if you don't have everybody coordinated on a common vision and a common purpose, Then they're going to just fight each other for those dollars, and they're going to resist every anybody else that might have got those dollars for a different different area. And they feel like, okay, I lost out, but I don't really have to go help this person out because I don't understand the common vision and the common purpose.
2: Correct. That's the one thing at Zscaler here that I I think kind of permeates through the leadership ranks as well as really close collab across all the execs, the next couple layers down. So that, you know, you can make trade-offs from quarter to quarter and nobody feels like they're giving something up. Rather, they're making a co-investment, which they're going to get back the next quarter. It's a very, very different dynamic. And, you know, it does drive company culture of collab, of entrepreneurial spirit, of dynamic, you know, decisioning, emotions. And um, that's been part of what I think has been pretty, pretty exciting to me here.
1: Yeah. Now, you talked a lot about training and development for, you know, different levels. And I know that um, Cap has a couple of questions he wants to ask in that area.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, We would be remiss if we didn't take a moment to just have you speak about John just walked through all of your different levels of growth and development um, that you've personally had but we know you also have a passion to help others realize uh, ca- uh, career progression. I've heard you talk about it in a couple of different ways, you know, to help be- people be the best versions of themselves. And you also talk a lot about being naturally curious, but also naturally curious learners. So let's change gears a little bit and try to connect these dots. Um, you've always had a great commitment to development, uh, in fact, I think I heard you speak on another podcast where it's one of the first things that you set up at Zscaler was an enablement organization. It was RevOps. Um, uh, it was RevOps and it was enablement. Could you talk to us a little bit about where does that kind of mindset come from? We've heard you talk about RevOps. Let's talk about enablement. Where does that mindset come from for, from, for you? And then let's talk. We'll 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 deep dive a little bit more.
2: Yeah, at the most basic level, I've been fortunate enough where I've had leaders throughout my career that invested the time, and it was really a personal investment of time um, to help me further and advance my skills, um, my analytical viewpoints, my understanding of you know um, business, how to run it, and and it was it was great. I really witnessed kind of the next level of that, a programmatic, scalable way at, at BMC. And John, you brought that in um, when you were running go-to-market at BMC. And Kat, we brought you in uh, to build, you know, the plans around people, around messaging and um, really build an integrated framework for enablement and and... The interesting thing about that framework was, is it basically said, I'm going to build a learning framework that allows you to be the architect of your destiny, architect of your future, of your life, of your business ambitions, because I'll I'll build you something that's going to enable you to go as fast as you want to in acquiring programmatically knowledge and acquiring insights and how to apply it. So if you understand the message, if you understand what's important to the people, if you understand how to build a plan, and then if you start really becoming an expert at it, and I built this framework for you, I'm giving you complete control to be the architect of your life and of your business uh, career and ambitions. So at BMC, when we did it, uh, what was really hard was that, you know, there was a lot of new people coming into the org. so how do you build this competence quick? And how do you build it in a way that everybody can participate in it, right? And it was really, I think the two of you who orchestrated uh, what was a tremendous turnaround there of, uh, of a business unit that wasn't really moving very fast. Mm. And um, I took that as kind of my philosophical framework for anywhere you go to your point, You gotta have an enablement structure in place. You gotta have a rev up structure. Those are the first two things you invest in. Otherwise you're being unfair to people because you're not giving them the same consistency of opportunity because you're not giving them the same consistency of path and plan because everybody is a bit uh, limited by what their experience is. So if we take that out of the equation and we build this model, then anything is possible, and you encourage people to run fast. Uh, I'll go back to architect of life and architect of your business trajectory, right? And that then really levels the playing field for everybody, and that also allows you to build an opportunity for people to reach self-realization, right? Once you get on this journey of I want to know more, what else is there? What are other people doing? How are we losing? Why are we losing? Right. Um, who succeeds? Who fails? What's what's the map? Everything about stats and probabilities. Right. And if you increase the probability of somebody's success, um, you've done them a great, great service for the rest of their careers, not just for this moment. And that. yeah, that's why, again, I'm a big fan of everything you do, Cap, And um, I think it's invaluable.
0: I, th- I thank you for that. Um, I have seen what you've done out in the marketplace at AppDynamics and Zscaler and, and your, it's not the the way you guys um actually execute is not about compliance. It's about inspiration and creating, you know, self-realization. I don't want to trivialize how, I don't want to use my words, so I want you to say it, like, how how do you how do you do that from from your level and speak to our audience of people that yeah. own for a living like they own enablement? If I'm a CRO or a COO or what have you, you know, how do I take that from a compliance? I'm giving people training. I'm going to make them comply versus I'm going to inspire them and let them self realize.
2: How do you do and that? That is, listen. That is the eternal you know, wrestling match on making sure you don't over pivot to where there is little accountability to where, you know, you're, you're drowning people with metrics, right? You need the metrics to identify where you have gaps, because otherwise, how are you going to coach? How are you going to develop if you don't have the insights into what is going on in the business? You need the enablement. And it needs to be real enablement. That's why you need leaders that know how to build that infrastructure, and then how to get it out in an exciting and fun way. And at Zscaler, we we have that. Uh, at AppD, we had it as well. I think we took it to another level here, where you got to make learning fun. You got to make it entertaining. You got almost make it a little bit, a little bit. You know, I'm going to call it corny at times. You know, just to lighten lighten the mood a little bit. Uh, And then you got to be very structured and sequenced in how you lay this out for people. Because, again, um, you can't come in and know everything day one. So what are the different layers? When do I really need to master each layer? So organizing and orchestrating that is, is really, really important and takes some time. You then have to really make sure that you amplify people who have taken advantage of what you've built and driven great success. And then not just they close the deal, but what is the success meant to them personally, to their teammates? How have they gotten to a different place? How's their thinking evolved? What does it mean to their families, to their friends? Because you got to think about it. Everything you teach and coach people to, you you take that in into your persona. So you are going to take that home. You're going to take that out to your friend. Who have you become? So, how are we helping you, again, architect your life and act, architect your business trajectory? And that means you have a responsibility to acknowledge that you're shaping who people are. So, when you take that on and you construct the right enablement framework and you construct the right sequencing and you update it, then you marry it to a process and metrics centric, centric framework, um, and you got to a couple of really, really good ingredients, and then the last piece is the leadership enablement, which I think over the last years has has evolved or needed to evolve, and we're going through an evolution right now at a pretty pretty decent scale.
0: I love that. I I want to come back to that in just a second on the the leadership enablement. I, I want to highlight something that I heard you say for our listeners out there that are you know. First line, second line, third line managers, if you're in a leadership role, um, one of the things that I'm hearing you say, Dolly, is one of the ways to get inspiration versus compliance is to highlight the bright spots, not highlight who's not using what we're doing, highlight who's using what we're doing, committing to what we're doing, self-realizing, what through what we're doing, and then that becomes the culture, that becomes the norm, and it would be really, really hard not to participate in that. And compliance is kind of the jungle self-correcting. Do you agree with that?
2: I agree with that. Compliance—it's it, a short window that that, that lasts. Yeah. We uh, a couple years ago at Zscaler, we were trying to figure. We we brought a lot of changes into the org, and we're trying to figure out how do we focus on exactly what you said, which is the positives, the positive steps. And, you know, everybody waits for like this big miracle to happen, this big enlightenment, this moment. And and what you miss out is if you're just waiting for the big moments, you miss all the little moments. And what we brought in is a concept of marginal gains, where we celebrated every small win, whether it was a good meeting, good prep, uh, a good three whys, whether it was a good business case, whether it was a good EBC, whether it was just a good you know, PG uh, Monday, and you got into the right accounts. And then we would highlight not just that it happened, but how it happened, right? So you're starting to build kind of mental habits of recognizing uh, small incremental gains and wins as big things that you should be excited and proud of. Because not everybody experiences success, you know, at the same rate or scale, So then how do you keep people believing that they're moving in the right direction? It's these incremental gains, these marginal gains and wins, and you got to celebrate in public because they do matter because in aggregate, they yield great results and great progress at least.
0: I love that. And then the, the thing that you highlighted just before this is you've actually made throughout your career a huge commitment and realization that. The training doesn't stop at the individual contributor level. You have to train the sales leaders. And we talk a lot about, you know, um, the three R's, which I know are near and dear to your heart. I think they originally came from John McMahon, uh, you know, of recruiting, retaining, and 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 all the stuff we've been talking about from a revenue perspective. Tell our listeners a little bit how you feel it's so important to invest in the training of the leadership and the training of the, the managers to really know how to coach and develop. Because a lot of companies just take an individual contributor and they and they derail, derail people sometimes when they take a great individual contributor and have them try to coach and develop other individual contributors and they haven't trained them.
2: I think if you look at those three categories, right, they're going to be similar but also a little different for depending on what business you're in. But the recruit, retain, and revenue aspects of each business—I mean, those are those are big umbrella, you know, uh, uh, categories. You really get to drive consistency and skill development, and how to teach those skills into your leadership, if you have a program that focuses on that, and not just focuses on at the core basic level, but also kind of the workshopping also the internalizing, also the making this part of kind of their their daily instincts and routines. Um, And over over the years, that's evolved as well. Even if I look at today where we are, um, I I still look at, you know, COVID was was a period that influenced everybody, influenced people's thinking, influenced how they viewed the world, influenced people's social skills because, you know, everybody was behind the screen for so long. And um, if you take a look at the recruit, retainer revenue aspects, if you understand them, you can coach to them. If you coach to them, you're making everybody better. If you're just managing to them, then you're asking for compliance. So how are you going to teach this unless you have an integrated learning model in place? I would argue, though, that today you got to expand it beyond that to just even core leadership skills. Uh, people have evolved. What matters to them has evolved. It's no longer just about I want to make some money and you know then I'm happy. It's I want to make sure I work with the right people. I want to make sure I'm growing intellectually, professionally, personally. I want to make sure I'm discovering new things about myself that, as I said earlier, you take back home. Where does that enablement come from? Because that's traditionally not sales enablement. Or sales leadership enabling. This is back the linkages to, to a you know business-centric PNC org that helps you build these elements out. Because the core leadership principles, how to how to navigate them, especially in a remote world, is remember back in the old days, you'd sit down with somebody, you kind of can sense something is off, and you would dig a little bit, then you find out there's an issue, you try to solve it. You're all over the place these days. Yeah. So how are you going to do that? You're on a on a screen, everybody's on their you know, best business behavior, and nobody wants to share personal things because there's five, six people on that screen with you, right? So how do you develop the skills and how do you understand the moments? And then how do you execute on those moments to really understand where somebody is, what is troubling them, what you can do to help, and then what other skills from a communication standpoint you need to evolve? because it's different on a screen than it is in person, where you can be a little bit more direct on a screen, maybe it's uncomfortable. So so expanding the recruit, retain revenue into really another layer of just core leadership skills has become critical for us. It's something we're starting to really build out at pace here. And then how do you, to my earlier point, permeate this into the rest of the org so that you have a modular approach of core leadership principles that the entire company is behind with customization based on what functional group you're in so that's that's my dream of of building out here and and i got a tremendous team that's really running running these plays and and helping and driving uh, a lot of this change
0: yeah it shows up in the it shows up in the great results johnny before we pivot Wait, hold,
1: hold on just on that subject though you can always just look at it from a plain math point of view, too, right? So if you have a manager running, you know, a team of six reps, and the reps is supposed to bring in, let's say, one point two million, that manager is responsible for seven point two million dollars, right? If it's a poor manager and they're not developing the people, one, I'm probably not going to get the one point two million out of everybody. But typically, those poor managers lose reps. When I lose two reps. I lose $2.4 million in quota. I lose the investment I made in the training, recruiting, and onboarding. I lose the opportunity cost to go get that $2.4 million back. So what 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 Dolly's saying is this it's it's about the leaders and the effect that they have, not only on people and their but their performance and their ability to get these people to grow. Because if you're a manager, the key you know, outcome of your good leadership has to be that you were able to recruit and develop someone to take your place. Otherwise, you're never gonna be a high growth co- corporation.
2: You're, you're spot on, John. And you know, rep participation rates is a big, big focus area for us this year. Because as you're getting bigger, um, you know, it's so easy as a frontline leader, you get that one deal masks, a lot of issues and, you know, you're high-fiving and you're going, I've done my job. In the meantime, you got, you know, one other rep who maybe just got to a hundred, two who got close and two who didn't even get to 50%. Right. And you're high-fiving. The problem with that is that's not sustainable growth, nor is it efficient growth and you're failing on your commitment as a leader. Yes. So so you know it has a lot of things so that's why you got to understand what is going on hence the metrics the rev ops and then you got to understand how to how to apply the right learnings to the leaders that are struggling with certain things in a modular but broad way because it isn't it's never just one you know magic you know act that resolves for everything it has to be a series of
1: yeah and it goes back to what we talked about earlier you get to a certain point or a certain level in an organization you start to realize the major impact that your leaders have on their people. And, and a lot of organizations just say, I oh, was just a terrible sales rep, or she was terrible, just throw them out. They throw them out like pencils. And I'm thinking, wait a second, who is responsible to recruit this person? Who is supposed to coach, develop, and lead this person? If you were the person that was responsible for that, you need to go down to the bathroom and look in the mirror and say, what did I do wrong? And if I can't fix it, I'm probably in the wrong role.
2: It's the, the biggest thing as a frontline, you're responsible for people's lives and their careers. And when you hire them on, you saw something in it. And if it didn't work out, you did not unlock that. And then how do you not just say that, but coach to it? And how do you try to you know, spot it early? And, and we've been really over the last 12 months kind of evolving how we do that, evolving uh, how we take care of individuals who work here and signed up because they want to be developed. They believe that the leaders can take them to another place. It is, it is a constant work in progress. You're never done with that. And it, it is absolutely the biggest focus area for us right now because we're seeing a lot of movement across the industry, a lot of people looking for realizing the easy, quick money wasn't easy, quick. Um and then, you know, our value proposition as eScaler is more along the lines of we can help you build skills that have you your entire career, can help you connect into a community that will be valuable for you for your entire career. And we can help you develop skills beyond just the core functional skills that will be invaluable for whatever you do the rest of your life, for whatever your your kids and family sees you do, because, you know, make no mistake about whatever you think you are at work, you are that exact same person at home. You gotta filter it a little bit, but you are. So better be good habits. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but when you help people win and you help, especially young people, you help them win, you help train them, you help develop them, and they continue to win and grow, they're not gonna leave you. Why would they leave?
2: That that's that's the formula, that's the ambition, right? Which is back to the patiently impatient. Um, your time will always come. Just make sure that when it does, you're 100% ready, not 70% ready with high risk on your back. And if you're doing it as a team, it, it's a lot more fun.
0: I just want to get Dolly's perspective on, and it's a really, really good transition from what you guys just talked about. Dolly, you've scaled organizations for years. And the in the three R's, you know, it begins with recruitment. Could you just tell our audience Like the philosophy that you've used, uh, you know, intelligence, coachability. I've heard you talk about curiosity, whatever. Would you just for our audiences? You're talking about a lot of movement out there. What expectation do you have of folks that um, you know interview, or they're either being interviewed, or they are they are the ones that are interviewing? What expectation around attributes do you have? Could you, could you tell our listeners that?
2: Yeah. I mean, you, you listed a few, right. Intelligence, coachability, character and experience, you know, um, type of experience, depending on what job you're mapping into is critical. Right. And, um, and you know, from a character standpoint, I, I'll, I'll give you a little more detail what this means. Cause sometimes, you know, acronyms get thrown around and everybody interprets them differently. Um, depending on what you're selling and depending on is it a value-based sale, Uh, is there an ROI tied to it? Are you going to have to do work on behalf of customers, right? Are you going to have to connect different orgs within customers because they maybe don't talk to each other, right? Um, And then, you know, a complex platform. Everywhere where I've been, it's always been a platform sale. And you got to have a certain amount of of intelligence to, to be able to really parse all that apart. And understand what to do with it on the coachability. If you're in a high growth company, there's only one thing for certain: everything's going to change twelve months from now. For whatever you thought it was, twelve months. Sometimes every quarter. Sometimes every quarter. I like to do you know small changes every six months and the bigger ones every twelve months. And I've done that for many many years in my career. So that coachability around wanting to learn, wanting to evolve, having that natural curiosity, right? It becomes critical. Because otherwise, if you're if you're not really fueled by that, that you just hired somebody on and they're not going to be happy. So why'd you do it, right? Um, sometimes you know on the character side, are you a lone wolf or are you a team player? Do you understand what it means to be a team player? Because if you're building a large, high growth org, all the pieces are interconnected. So it can't just be about you. It has to be about the community, the greater good. So, so those elements. You know, what do you value? Is it win at any cost, or is it win the right way? Um, is it you know help somebody else out, uh, no matter no matter what I'm doing right now, or only when I have time? It depends. Again, what your mission, what your charter is. But those those things always matter. Experience. Sometimes people don't have a lot of experience, but is it the right experience? Or they were in a different industry for many years, but did they still acquire the right experience to be successful here? Because the job here is to to map a, a, a solid, high potential candidate to the right opportunity as a leader. That's that is your responsibility, not just to get somebody who's good because you have a TBH. You have to finish it quickly. That's the hardest thing to do sometimes. Because if I have three TBHS and somebody seems like they're fit enough. Well, let's give it a shot. Well, you just put risk into that person's life, put risk into yours, right? And um, and th- you, you did not fulfill your obligation. And to the other part of your question, uh, Cap, you know what do we expect of candidates when they interview with us? Listen, taking a job is a that's a big decision. How much research are you putting in? H- how much curiosity are you showing? Are you just selling or are you also buying yourself? And then how does it manifest itself? Do you have a solid set of questions that you really thought through deeply, prepared? Because if you're not doing it for your job, you're not going to do it for the opportunity. And if you're selling a complex product that's value-based, then you're going to have to do a lot of research. You're going to have to do a lot of work, again, on behalf of the customer. So we are looking for, for those things. And these days, you can find anything about any company um, if you really dig hard enough.
0: Outstanding. Cap, you want
1: to tell us about the top three takeaways you took from this, uh, man, I was just
0: trying discussion to. Discussion
1: that felt it was, it's, it's over an hour, but I mean, oh, it went, feel like, it went like five minutes. I mean. Probably we could talk to you all afternoon, but I know
0: you're a busy man.
2: Uh, always insightful. You learn from questions as much as you do from answers sometimes.
0: Yeah, you're you're uh, there's so many great takeaways, Dolly. Um, I you know, a couple here that stand out for me are, um, you know, you started off and you talked about style flex and you were really giving advice to people to, you know, don't be afraid to really figure out who you are, Uh, be um, committed to the culture, but be vulnerable enough to, to have style flex. That really that really stood out for me. I heard you say, be careful of living in your dashboard. And I think in 2023, with all the metrics that are really going to be um, looked at very intensely in 2023, I think that is a danger for leaders to be living in the dashboard and uh, not being intimate with the people. That was a great takeaway for me. So many great takeaways on your development. I just... Ask people to go back and listen to the enablement piece where you talked about self-realization. And then, you know, the three R's highlighted by your specific examples of the attributes. Those are as good as gold, whether you're interviewing people or whether you are the one that is, uh, you know, going for the job and to be interviewed. Those were money and uh, so many, so many golden nuggets. We thank you for them.
1: Well, you take away also, you know, yield versus investment came through, you know, a hundred times in this session, yeah. um, thinking like an executive and also understanding as you went up the ladder, and sometimes it takes people a long time to figure this out, the drastic effect or positive effect that a, a good leader or a poor leader can have on the entire team. And and making sure that you're recruiting the right leaders and putting the right leaders in the right positions, as Dolly said. That's so freaking critical. Wow. So critical. Hey, Dolly, do you have a favorite charity or a charity you'd like to talk about?
2: Yeah. So I'm a big fan of really um let, let, let me give you three tiers. Tier number one is the local food banks, in my mind, are always great. Um, lots of people. Uh, need them, use them. And I have a feeling next year is going to be another year. So uh, that that's a big one. Um, I'm also a big fan of doing things for kids. And I'll tell you, um, Mercy Home for Boys and Girls in Chicago, that was one where I was always, always, you know, contributing because um, it, was, it was a great, still is a great organization and I'm still contributing there. And another one, a uh, new one, I just picked up is the National Runaway Safe Line. It's for youth and teens, um, and um, I think these are all worthy causes. I'm a believer that it's the safe line, Dolly. What does that do? What it's things? basically where kids that are in crises they can call in, and these are centers that right. then not just are a safe line, but they will help them and guide them through tough decisions. So, you know, I'm a believer that kids did not. Pick their own destiny. They were born into it. So if there's something that can be done around it to help them, that's um, that's always a great cause.
1: Yeah. Hey, Dolly, first of all, I'm so proud of you and everything you've accomplished. I still remember when I first met you, and uh I knew you were bound for success. So I'm so glad to see you achieve it. And number two, thanks for taking the time. And three, I'm really, really grateful to have you, man. Thank you. Uh,
2: th- thank you. And thank you both, because uh, both of you were were at that junction when I, you know, started becoming uh, aware of needing to do something to architect life and business journey. And it was your teachings, the models, and models. I'm not just saying this because I'm on here, but it really was that that really helped me do that. So uh, I will eternally be grateful for that. All right, as, Thank
0: you. So. As we are for you, my friend. Thank you and congratulations to you. Continued success uh, to you at Zscaler and wherever uh, life takes you. You just have done such a great job of of crushing every opportunity that you've had. So thank you again for being here.
2: Thank you. It's a sign of a tremendous team, Cap. That's, that's what it is. All right,
0: cheers, Amen. everybody. Thank you all for listening to Revenue Builders.
2: Thanks for listening to today's episode. Be sure to check us out at forcemanagement.com.